All right, good morning. I uh, appreciate the alley-oop pastor because that would have uh, made me look pretty silly. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knew today. So here we go. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave him the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son at his old age. The, children, the child grew and was waned. And on the day Isaac was waned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son. For that woman's son will never share in the inheritance my son Isaac. With my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also because he is your offspring. Early that morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered the desert of Beersheba. When the water and skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a boy shot away from away, for she thought, I cannot watch my boy die. And she sat there and she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and make and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And God opened her eyes and saw the, a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. Let us say a scripture declaration together. Lord, we honor your word to us. Later, may your truth become our heart's pursuit and our life's practice. Well, thank you. Appreciate that and appreciate you reading the scripture. I don't know if you guys are aware, but uh, we try every single week to make sure that we have a big chunk of scripture to read. You hear my voice all of the time that I'm preaching. And so I try to ask others to read these large chunks of scripture because the truth is, is that my words are my words 
but the words that these others are reading are God's words. And so they have the power to transform and to change lives. And so we read big chunks of scripture because this is one of the most important things we actually do to, send, uh, to simply focus upon the things that God has said in his word. And so as you know, Paul reads or as Eric reads or whoever it might be, Peter reading, these things are done for that reason. And we try to read a, read a large chunk so you can get a good sense of what's going on, but also just to hear that God's word is given a place of honor and respect. So as we share this today, let me just share with you having to do with, uh, with fathers. I would think that the Bible is where we would want to look for all of the different examples of great fathers you know, this one is a great father, and this one is a great father, and on and on down the line in the list. But as crazy as this might sound, there are not a lot of really great fathers in the Bible. And I don't know if that's a surprise to you or not, but it is kind of sad to me personally because I would love to go to God's Word and see that there are a number of great fathers and I could pattern my life after this one and this one and this one. I look at David and his life and we know quite a bit about his life and we see him as a man after God's own heart. And yet, he was not necessarily a great father. Now, I want to share some things with you and I want to just kind of clarify some things as we go through. This story that Paul just read was about Abraham. And you probably have heard him referred to as Father Abraham, haven't you, right? You've even maybe sung the song when you were in Sunday school, you know, Father Abraham. And many Is it just me or did y'all? Okay, a few of y'all are smiling. Some of y'all are laughing at me that you're not the ones that I'm talking about. Uh, you don't know what I'm talking about. You're just thinking I'm weird. But yes, we refer to him as Father Abraham, the father of the faith in many ways. But we hear in this story that Paul just read, he sent his handmaid, Hagar, away with barely enough provisions to sustain her for a handful of hours, much less days that the journey would take. Now, I don't know about you, but no matter how low your bar for being a great father is, this probably does not qualify. Can I get an amen, right? So what do we have to learn from these men that are in the scriptures called great men of God and yet were not great fathers? I would say we can learn sometimes more from those who have made mistakes than those who have done it right. Can I get an amen on that? I don't know if y'all have ever had that experience, but for me... I have always learned more from my mistakes than from the good that I have done. And the truth of the matter is, is that we can always learn. And I love that the scriptures don't pretend that you have to be perfect or that I have to be perfect in order to be a man or a woman of God. And so I basically share this with you as an encouragement to you. You can be a man of faith, even if you don't necessarily look in the mirror and say, you're a great dad all the time, every time. I don't think that you have to be a great father to have a great impact. And as I said, you can always remember that we are mainly 
The whole thing of echo today was that we're supposed to be the echo of the heavenly father as fathers, that he is the good, good father, and we are every now and then pretty good, right? And so I know that I am flawed as a dad. I know that I'm speaking today to men who are flawed, and it's very easy for us to shift our thinking to the fact that we are so flawed that we could never be used. It is very important for me to convey to you today that whether you are a great father or not, you can still make a great impact, but you can't simply wash your hands of it, say, I'm not good at this, I won't ever be good at this, and give up. And so I want to talk about how we can be better as fathers, but I also want to encourage you that you are not needing to be a perfect father to make a good impact and raise good children. And so let's talk a little bit about that. And let's go to our something to learn all the way on. Yes, there you go. Thank you, man. I appreciate it very much, Miss Alicia. Something to learn. Many who were great men of the faith, like Abraham, who we just read about. Jacob, also known as Israel. Do you guys remember that whole uh, coat of many colors things that went on for Joseph? He was the one who was the father in that situation, had a favorite that everybody knew about so much so as that they literally were thinking about killing their brother because of the jealousy that their father had engendered in that family because he had a favorite to the exclusion of all others. Or David, as we talked about, the, the son Absalom, who literally tried to become king in his place and a violent takeover and then others as well. They're great men of faith, but not great fathers. Part of this was cultural. We understand that back in those times, you weren't expected to have as much input as we are now. But it is a sign of the times, I know, but it does show that fatherhood is not merely a spiritual exercise. In other words, you can be a great follower of God, but not have the tools of being a great father. We want to talk a little bit about some of those tools, encourage you, and hopefully give you a little bit of direction. And it's all found at every one of these slides today that you'll see, in influence and inspiration. These are two things that we want to talk about. These are two elements of our fatherhood that we can make an impact in that way. Now, why do dads matter according to USA Today? I'm going to be honest with you. There are about five things here that they listed, and I want you to hear this, okay? So there's actually a slide. It's from USA Today. It's an article that I saw online. It says, an involved father is impact uh, is more than just a few good stories, notable quips, hard-learned lessons. Science proves he's worth much more than that. And then he goes into the studies and the science of what a father does to impact the life of his child. And so this is very interesting. Unfortunately, the very first thing is this. They're less likely to be criminals when a father is involved. Now, I don't know what that says. Uh, I don't know if that should be offensive to me or what, but it just kind of cracks me up that that's the very first thing. But it says kids without attentive fathers are three times more likely to find themselves in the juvenile justice system before the age of 18 compared to those with involved fathers. Now, I want to just sit down here for just a second, literally and figuratively. Um, I want to remind you that you may not worry about your child being in the juvenile detention system. I get that. But sometimes it's the extreme that shows us the small cracks that are happening on a less of a grand scale. And so there is a rebellion and a frustration that's coming out that puts people in the juvenile detention system when a father is not involved. 
And there is a smaller level of that whenever dads aren't involved to the degree that they should be. And so I want to be very clear, that's kind of an extreme example to begin, but it is no less impactful. We play a vital role, men. They are more likely, the children of an attentive and involved father are more likely to delay sexual uh, uh, relationships And so that means that they are less less likely to have teen pregnancies. They tend to do better in school. They stay at their jobs longer, so advancement for them is more likely. And they're less likely to gender stereotype. In other words, uh, the woman does all the cooking and the cleaning, and the man goes out and earns all the money. That's a gender stereotype, three of them just thrown at you real quickly. If you have a father who showed you how to love and nurture then you are more likely to turn around and love and nurture as well. And you don't say, ah, that's a a woman's job to do that because that, again, is a gender stereotype that is fading away. So the science tells us the importance of men and the scriptures tell us clearly that we are important. But don't miss this, and this is important for us to not miss as we go to our next slide here, this don't miss this. Um... For many men, our occupations and our preoccupations come naturally to us. But raising our children takes both a skill and art that does not come easy for most of us. We are also often not given great role models to follow. So being a great dad is rarely our normal or default setting. If you guys understand what I'm saying with that slide, with the don't miss this, can, can I get an amen? Y'all hear what I'm saying? It's our occupations and our preoccupations. That's easy to do for us, but it's hard for us to instead be connected sometimes with our kids because there is no manual to follow. There's a skill and an art, and sometimes it's just hard for us to put ourselves in a position where it's a little awkward. And on top of that, we didn't have a a dad that showed us how to love and yet be strong at the same time. So can I just say something real quick? Get around great dads. Watch a great dad who is involved in their kids' lives and pattern your life after them when they have raised their kids right, when they have turned their kids toward the Lord and made him the ultimate thing, not only in their life, but also in their kids' lives. Follow that pattern. Ask questions. Get involved and get your kids around great dads because the truth is, as we've always talked about, it takes a village to raise the kids. How many of y'all have heard that before? That is true for men. But men, sometimes we get competitive against other great dads when we should be leaning on and getting in community instead of in competition with those great dads and let that great dad fill in some of our gaps and then fill in some of the gaps for the other other dads that need that from us. And that is so important. And let's talk about this very quickly. Let's talk about influence and inspiration. I'm going to mention this quite a bit as we move on, and then we'll talk a little bit further about our big idea. But let's talk about influence and inspiration on slide number eight. Um, And y'all have to forgive us. The computer is running a little bit slow and a little bit behind, so Alicia might already be there, and we may just be waiting. So sorry about that, Alicia. Okay, very good. So influence is the way that we teach with our words and actions, the way we encourage and push our children towards a better path, children toward a better path. But the inspiration is the way that we live 
and model the behaviors that we want to see our children follow, that thing that's going to draw them to the good and repel them from the bad. This is the inspiration. The things that we love get implanted into their life. It's the things that are caught, not taught, if you understand what I'm saying. So influence is the teaching and the inspiration is the catching of your passion for the Lord, for the wife, for the family, for all of those things that you find important that you can pour into your kids. They will catch it from you. Make sure that they're catching the right things. It's equal parts inspiration and influence. Don't get one or the other going in the wrong direction. So let's talk about God and talk about fathers very quickly as well on our next slide. If we don't teach our children who God is, someone else will teach them everything that he isn't. Now, I want to just slow down very quickly at this spot. (laughs) Slow down very quickly. I don't know if that's possible to do, but here's what I would share with you. For some of you, I understand that whenever you hear the words, God, the heavenly father, that's hard for you because of the father that you had that maybe let you down, that maybe hurt you, that maybe never treated you the way that you should have been treated. And so God, our heavenly father, should be something that we strive to point towards, but also to model in some small way that we do not put a barrier between our children and God, the heavenly father, by the way that we have lived, men. It's important for us because if we're not showing them what an earthly father can do to echo the Lord a little bit as best we can and we're just very clear, hey, listen, I can't be perfect. I will not be perfect. I will let you down. But as we tell them that and then we say each time, if there's anything that's good, I've tried, but mainly it's the Lord that is working through me and in me to help you to understand who he is because he is truly your father that will not let you down, that does care about you even when I drop the ball. And so fathers, let's never forget that part of our job is to make sure that we're not putting in roadblocks before our children, before they can get connected to the one who will always sustain and never let them down. Now, can I get an amen from you guys, men and ladies together? Can I get an amen? This is what it's supposed to be about, okay? So let's keep moving to our next slide as we kind of continue. Don't miss this. We need to be careful as dads that we're equal parts influence and inspiration because if we lean too far on influence, that's the teaching part, we lose the ability to reach our kids. They will know what you know, but they won't care. Do you see what I'm saying? They will know what you know. They will even know your values, but they don't care because they are not sure that you care. And then if we lean too far uh, on, on just simply the inspiration, we lose the ability to teach. They'll love you, but they will not respect the things that you are trying to instill in them. So you want equal parts of influence and inspiration. It's important. Now let's go back to our passage of scripture that we just read from Genesis chapter 21. And there ain't no no drama like family drama. We all understand that every single one of us deals with family drama. We understand what it looks like. And this 
is a perfect picture of where family drama comes in and it causes a huge blow up and it's not handled right by a man of God. So Genesis chapter 21, verses six through 10, kind of condensed down. Sarah says, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. The name Isaac actually means he laughs. And so whenever you hear that, she is celebrating, she's excited, and you can see this mom who's just excited about her son, about finally having a child in in a situation where barrenness was a huge uh, stigma. And Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking. And she said to uh, Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. So let me explain where we are. About 14 years before this scene happens, Sarah has been promised to have a child, but she can't seem to have a child. And so as she's waiting and waiting and waiting for this stigma to be removed from her, she says, well, you know what? There are people who have uh, slave women or whoever it might be, handmaidens, that they give to their husband as a, a, a surrogate to have that child. So that's what I will do. I'll have Hagar sleep with my husband Abraham so he can have an heir and it will be raised like it's my own child. So she doesn't want to wait on God's promise to be fulfilled. She's going to take it into her own hands and do it her way. In the midst of all of this, the family drama gets started. And if you can imagine the baby and all the joy that's happening, it's almost like a baby shower, but then you got a 14-year-old boy. Now, all of you guys know, what would a 14-year-old boy like to do at a baby shower? Absolutely nothing, right? I mean, get me out of here. I want to be anywhere in the world other than where I'm at right now, right? Well, what is happening? He's like mocking, and Sarah sees it. And at the moment of her joy, and the moment where it's all about this little baby, Instead, there's this son who used to be the only son, but now is the son who is no longer the son of promise. And I am upset about this. I'm not ever going to have that boy making fun of my boy. Now, like I said, there ain't no drama like family drama. Can I get an amen, right? I mean, it is a mess. And don't forget, the Bible is real things with real people. This is what's happening. And so in the midst of it all, what's all going on here? It's difficult. So something else to learn very quickly as we go to our next slide. Abraham struggled with this blended family. Don't ever think that the Bible is something just for those who have every piece of their life perfectly in place and every little box is checked and fits perfectly. A wife who insisted on, making, uh, on him taking her handmaid as a way to bear a son, common practice, absolute hatred between Isaac and Ishmael, and eventually... This is where a lot of the Jewish and Arab problem actually extends even thousands of years later. We can go even further if you want. So we keep going here to our next slide. Genesis 21, 11 through 6. We see this man of God being less than the father than he wants to be. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, don't be so distressed about your boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a great nation because he is your offspring. 
So early the next morning, Abram took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. And as we go to our next slide, he set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way, wandered into the desert of Beersheba. And when the water and the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes, went off and sat down about a bow shot away. And she thought, I can't watch my boy die. And she sat there and she began to sob. God instructed Abraham to do what Sarah recommended, but he didn't have to go this far. He did not have to be this cruel. Men, listen to me. We need to realize and understand that sometimes our wives, what we need to do for them is we need to pull them back from a ledge that they're about to go off. He needed to say to Sarah, Sarah, I understand and I will send her away, but this is not how we're going to do it. We're not going to send her away in anger and frustration. We're not going to send her away just barely enough for her to survive. You see what I'm saying? It's a different thing. You have the opportunity to always inspire. But here is what I have to ask. Do you think that the God of Abraham seems better to Ishmael and Hagar whenever Abraham portrays him in this way? I think not. I think not at all. And I'm not here to, to pass judgment, but I am here to learn. And I'm here to convey to you that there have been times where I am on a ledge relationally or emotionally and my wife comes along and she grabs me and she pulls me back from that ledge and she says, you're going about this the wrong way. It's too much emotion and you're going to regret what you do and what you say if you can't dial that back. Do you see, men, sometimes we have to say that to our wives. Now, I would be very gentle when I said that to my wife, men, I promise you, but you do have to say, I have to handle this as a man of God and as a man of God, I can't send her away like that. You see what I'm saying? And so men, be men. Stand for what is right. Stand for what is just and stand for what is good and do so in a way that points towards the God who is called our heavenly father. Now, very quickly, here's our big idea and I'm gonna go very, very quickly past this. Here's our big idea. Great fathers balance influence and inspiration to push their families to be their best. Can I just call it out? Many times men, because of the, the way that our wives and the mothers take such good care and are so good with our kids, we figured out that we can be hands off and that we'll still be parented well but they will not be parented as well as they could have been had you not said, but I still want to be involved. These are still my kids. These are still my inheritance. By the way, my inheritance is not what my dad will pass me in a bank account. My inheritance is my daughters and the lives that they're gonna live. That's my inheritance that I care the most about. And it should be the one that you care the most about. And men, I'm going to tell you something. The problem for most of us is that we do not understand how important it will be to us later 
when we actually have the time to do something about it now. In other words, when you get to be 52 like I am, you look back and you say, man, I wish I would have done more. And man, I wish I would have done different. And man, I wish I could have done these other things that I didn't do well, but I wish I could redo them. But the problem is, is that I had kids when I was 25 years old and 30 and 35 years old, and I did not realize how important it would be to me later. I did my best, but I could have done more. And I'm telling you men, as a guy who maybe has walked a path before you, maybe is walking a path right after you, I don't know, but I will tell you, you have to take advantage now because you are not promised tomorrow and you cannot do tomorrow what you can do today. So don't fail to do everything that you can to make the impact that you are able to make. You'll know it later. You want to have done more later, but you won't be able to. And so I encourage you, balance the influence, balance the inspiration, and push your family to be their best. The struggle with most families is usually there's one parent pushing and the other coasting. I didn't figure I'd get an amen, but I want you to think about it. I do want you to think about it because a lot of the time you already know that it's covered and you lay back instead of both pushing and both encouraging to be the very best that they possibly can be. All right, so real quickly, let's go to the big idea one more time. Great, let's go on past that just simply because of time. Uh, And I've already covered some of that. But would you guys say this with me on the count of three? Ready? One, two, three. Great fathers balance influence and inspiration to challenge their families to be their best. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk about God the Father fathering, and then I'm going to go to a very ending slide and talk about Jesus in this passage as well. So let's go to slide number 18, if you don't mind. This is God, the father, fathering. God heard the boy crying. He hears Ishmael. And I've always thought in my mind, it's a little baby under a scrub bush tree. It's not. It's a 14-year-old who's been sent away from home, who the only father that he has ever known is now turned his back on him, given him a skin of water and said, good luck to you, son, and sent him away. You guys hear what I'm saying? We've got to be very clear about this because I've always thought about it being a baby, but it's not. Isaac was the baby, but the 14-year-old knew exactly what was going on and how his father was turning his back on him. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what's the matter, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up, take him by the hand, I'm going to make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes. She saw a well of water. She went, filled the skin with water, and gave the boy a drink. God the Father, a father to the fatherless, a God who is there even when our earthly father is not, even when our earthly father does not live up to what we had hoped. 
God, the Father, fathering. So where is Jesus in this passage? I'm going to talk about that every single Sunday. Where is Jesus in this passage? Let's talk about that as we look here in this passage of Scripture, all that Paul had read. Um, Jesus in this passage is the fulfillment of God's promised Son. When He comes, not early, but never too late. We have to do God's will, God's way. Ishmael is me doing God's will my way. Isaac is God's will, God's way. Jesus is also the father figure providing and caring for us even when our earthly father has failed us. So I encourage you to understand all that we are seeing here in this passage of scripture. Now, here's what I wanna do. I wanna jump all the way down to how to do both is how I've termed it there, how to do both. This is how you can do both. How do you inspire and influence? You influence with character, not being one, but having it, <laughs> right? Okay, so many of us dads, we're trying to be a character when we ought to just be worried about whether or not we have it. <laughs> and then being consistent. Your kids don't care about what you're all excited about today, they care if you're going to follow through and follow through and follow through and still going to be there consistently with them and then inspire them by connecting with them. Still want, and I still have it on my phone, I get an app from Alarm that says text Tori because sometimes I'm too busy and I forget. And then four or five days later, I get another one that says text Taryn. And then four or five days later, I get another one that says, text Tatum. And what I do when I get that is I text them and I say, hey, I just want you to know I'm thinking about you and that I love you, that I'm proud of you. I want to connect with my kids and I got to be intentional to do it because sometimes I'm not that good at doing what I know I should be and what I want to do. And then I would just say, when I do text them, when I do connect with them, I want to compliment them not talk business, not talk shop, not talk what have you done, did you do that thing that I told you to do? That's not the kind of connection that we're looking for. Your kids will be drawn to you as you tell them what you feel about them, how much they mean to you, how they are God's gift to you, how you are proud of them. I encourage you dads, this is your chance let today be a day that you begin. Let today be a day that you change a path or do something a little better or change something that isn't going well but needs to be changed. I want to talk about very quickly how we apply and then I'm going to end our time together. We start now with what we know we want to be. Don't let another year pass. And then we speak out and follow through on just one small thing that you've decided to do. So you start with small wins, just little things that are being a blessing to your kids. And then you be accountable. You ask your wife, you ask your significant other, you even tell your kids, I want to talk to you every month. I want to talk to you every week. I want to talk to you every day, whatever it might possibly be. And you be accountable so they know that's what you want and what you expect and what you're planning and shooting for. I don't know where your relationships are, but these principles change things for you if you will go this direction and begin with small actions and small wins. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to peel the curtain back and I'm going to close in literally just a minute or two. But here's what I would share with you. 
I don't love days like this. I don't love Mother's Days. I don't love Father's Days because I literally know I've got people on this end of the spectrum and that end of the spectrum. And by sharing whatever I share, I can easily alienate somebody on one end of the other spectrum. You guys understand what I'm saying? So some of you today, what I said is going to be a blessing to you and you're going to walk away and, oh, this is good, you know? And then others of you, well, he would never say stuff like that if he knew what I have been through or what my dad was. I get it. It's impossible for me to do it right for everybody at the same time. So I always fall back to this. The Heavenly Father is the one that I ultimately point you to. And I encourage you, if you are a father, that that be your strategy as well. Because as much as I would like to think I was a good father, I know I failed. I know I blew it. I know there were things that I did wrong and that I wish I could go back and undo, but I cannot. But I am not the Redeemer. We talk about Christ as the Redeemer. Here is what that means. It means he buys back. He buys back those things that have been lost. In other words, when I have failed, God can step in and say, yes, he failed you because he is human. And the reason that he did was not because he hated you, but because he struggles just like you. But I will never leave you and never forsake you. You see what I'm saying? This is God, the redeemer, who redeems my failures and yours. And so ultimately, I point to him we point to him. We encourage others to look to him because he is the one who does not let us down. And so whoever you are, whatever this day might mean to you, I encourage you, let's shift it and let's take it a little higher. Let's pass the, the gift. Let's look to the giver. Let's look past the good and look to the ultimate. God the Father the ultimate father who heals us, who redeems us, who secures us, who anchors us, who enables us, who forgives us, who prepares a place for us so that we might live in that father's house forever. So ultimately, it is about God and no one else. And if you've made it about you, like I've often made it about me, Let's shift the focus and let's be the blessing that they actually need. Heavenly Father, bless our fathers today. Thank you for them. Thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you for the way that they have been blessings in their family's life. And I know that there are some here today who want to be more, who wish that they had done differently and, and done things in a different way. But ultimately, we cannot buy back what you alone can redeem. And so God, this day, may you bring healing where it is needed. May you bring inspiration to us and may we influence our families in ways that draw them ultimately to you above all things. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody together said, amen.
Guys, thank you so much for your time and for your attention. I apologize that we've run a little late. I appreciate you, and hopefully uh, it has been a blessing to be here. I've been blessed with your presence. We appreciate you being a part of today's service. So we're going to go ahead and dismiss you guys, and we're going to say it the way that we always say at the very end of service. And fathers, thank you. God bless you. I'm in your corner, and uh, I'm praying for you to be the very best that you possibly can be. So... Together, let's say it and let's be dismissed and go about our Father's Day. You guys with me? Y'all ready? Here we go. We've just heard God's word. Now let's go live it. God bless you guys. You're dismissed. Love you. Have a great Father's Day.